We talked years ago about the loss of a friend and colleague who perished in the crash of his private plane. But as a pilot, I've chatted on numerous occasions about the rewards of flying. UC Davis is unique among University of California campuses in having a local airport where one can learn to fly. We've encouraged you, dear listener, to consider taking it up. We continue to do so. Accidents happen in aviation, as they do in every area of human endeavor, but the vast majority are quite avoidable. This was never more true than with the unfortunate case of John F. Kennedy Jr., whose crash has been studied in detail by our guest today. Dr. Douglas A. Lonstrom is a private pilot. It so happened that he flew in the same area on the same day that JFK Jr. was lost, and thus he experienced the same difficult weather that led to the tragedy. For a decade after this sad event, Dr. Lundstrom collected information on the crash, which he has published in his book, JFK Jr., 10 Years After the Crash, A Pilot's Perspective. His analysis shows that while bad weather was the direct cause of the accident, many wrong decisions were made that fateful day, making this particular accident one that was highly preventable. Dr. Lundstrom joins us from New York. He's a professor of statistics at Siena College. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Dr. Douglas Lundstrom. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Dr. Lonstrom, you've estimated that no less than 32 errors contributed to this crash. But before we get into those, could you tell us a bit about what it was like uh, with the trying weather on that July day, which you experienced firsthand? Yeah, it was very interesting. My wife and I live in Albany, New York, uh, a couple hundred miles from Cape Cod. And we had been over on the Cape visiting friends of ours. And on the very day that he crashed, which was Friday, uh, July 16, 1999, uh, we took off to come back to Albany, and I got up to about two... I'm an instrument rated, so I'm allowed to fly in bad weather. Uh, basically, there are two ways to fly, visual and instruments. Visual means you got to stay clear of the clouds. Instruments means you can fly in the clouds. So I got up to about two... I took off visually, got up to about 2,000 feet, and could hardly see. And my wife said, maybe you ought to file an instrument plan, which you can do from your plane. And I said, no, I think it'll clear up once we get away from the Cape and, and the ocean. And it never did. All the way back to Albany, I probably had a couple of miles visibility. And it was a very tough, as tough as visual flying day I ever had. And, of course, he and I was flying in the daylight that afternoon. He took off that night from New Jersey and flew into that heavy mist over the black ocean. Uh, and he was not instrument rated. Matter of fact, he didn't have a lot of experience at all. And he just made terrible mistakes. Well, there's a rule in flying. You can fly in mountains, you can fly at night, you can fly in bad weather, but you can only do one of those three. And when I read the book, the part that really struck me was that uh, he was planning, I guess, all day to get in the air by 5.30 when he'd have hours of daylight, but, uh, but that didn't happen. So he had that combination of bad weather at night. Absolutely correct. Uh, his original plan, he was going to Hyannisport, which is on the Cape, in other words, on land uh, as opposed to an island. And he was going to go somewhere around 5, 6 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he was going to take his wife and his wife's sister. And, well, they, all three of them were running late. They did not even get out to the airport. It was in North Jersey that, where they took off, not too far from Newark. And it was eight, about 8.15 when he finally got there. He didn't take off until 8.39. And now it's dark, and he's also... a Another bad thing for him was he was flying east, so there was no sunset in front of him. It was behind him, and, and so he took off into this dark weather, into a black sky, and just into this very heavy mist when he got over the ocean. So all of those things contributed to his accident. 
Well, as a physician and pilot, I just cringed when I read about uh, how he'd crashed his ultralight just a few months before, and he'd, he just had that cast taken off, and witnesses say he was having some trouble ambulating, and of course, he's still elected to fly to, to Massachusetts, which is just another huge mistake. Absolutely. I, as a matter of fact, for my book, I interviewed uh, my FAA flight examiner, medical examiner, and he said that was just awful. He never would have certified him to fly. Of course, JFK didn't go to any doctor. Uh, you're absolutely correct. On Memorial Day weekend, he crashed his ultralight out on Martha's Vineyard, uh, broke his leg, had the cast removed the day before he was due to take this trip, the day before he crashed, uh, and he was hobbling around on a, a cane and crutches and so on. Even as he pre-flighted his plane, he was doing it on crutches. Uh, absolutely amazing. Well, pilots who are not instrument rated uh, should never feel they have to take to the air, especially since changing weather is always a potential problem, uh, especially out in the East Coast where summer storms are quite normal. I guess one of the take-homes here from this discussion is that if danger looms, you need to find an alternate route of getting there always. Absolutely. And, and you're a pilot, and we call it get there itis or get home itis. And what happened to him was he was going to this wedding uh, of Rory Kennedy, who was Bobby Kennedy Jr., Bobby Kennedy's uh, daughter, and he had promised his side of the family that he would represent uh, them at this wedding, so he felt he had to go. His sister, Carolyn, was out in the West uh, celebrating her anniversary and her husband's birthday, so they were way out in Wyoming, uh, and he was going to go to the wedding, so he felt he had to go. And you're absolutely correct. He, by the time he did all of this fooling around, he could have driven and, and been safer. But uh, he was very strong-willed, and so he decided he was going to fly. Well, you, there's parts of your analysis that I thought were really unsettling for me. Uh, the sort of gripping part is when you describe how he, he got in trouble flying out over the ocean. We mentioned earlier about that rule about mountains, night, and bad weather, but you might just as well substitute flying over open water because, as you point out in the book, even with poor visibility, lights of cities there in Connecticut and such might well, surely help orient him. But once, uh, once he got it over the sea, he was really, uh, really in trouble. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he made a lot of mistakes, but he was doing all right until he passed uh, the Rhode Island coast. Uh, and now he had absolutely no horizon. And he's a visual pilot. He needs a horizon to fly. And so, but he was at 5,500, which was the proper altitude. He was on the absolute, he was on a heading of 100 degrees, which took him right to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and his trouble came when he had to turn and descend at the same time. Now he's over this black ocean, black sky, this heavy mist where you can hardly see, and he's starting to turn and descend, and he overturns to the left. He must have realized that he had done that because now he overcorrects to the right. Then he's trying to descend, and he pops back up a couple of hundred feet, and then he realizes he's now off course, heading the wrong way, so he makes another left turn and goes into what we call the death spiral. He probably had no idea, and, and of course, conjecture on my part. I'm guessing that his wife and her sister were sitting in the back, which was another mistake. Um, I'm guessing they knew something was really drastically wrong before he did. People don't believe it, but when you're flying the plane, you could be upside down and not know it inside a cloud. You just yeah. can't feel that. Well, we, we've mentioned uh, just by now, just in a few minutes, numerous, numerous mistakes uh, that, that were made here. You, you tallied up, uh, you know, 32 of them. What among, among these uh, things that went wrong were most critical in your, in your opinion? 
Well, obviously the big one is, is, is going at all. He never should have done that. I don't think uh, the cast coming off the leg was a fatal mistake. I think it it's contributes to it, and it certainly added to his stress and so on. Um, there were several things he did. For instance, when he got to, it was Caldwell, New Jersey, where he took off from, and two pilots had just landed there. And I always, if I see a pilot land, I go out, even if somebody I don't know, I say, what's it like up there? How is it? Because we know these forecasts aren't perfect. So two pilots landed. One actually started searching for him, but he was across, JFK was across the street buying some things in a, you know, a convenience store. So he never bothered to look up these pilots. Second, an instructor volunteered to go with him, and often he did take an instructor. Money was not an object for him. Uh, it costs money to take instructors, okay? Yeah. Um, but he, instructor offered to go with him. He said he, he didn't want that. Uh, as far as we can tell, he never used his autopilot. And, and that is just a, a mistake that's amazing to me. Uh, the autopilot would have brought him down. He was going to go to Martha's Vineyard to drop off the sister-in-law. So that's, that's how he got over the black water, because he's going to Martha's Vineyard is an island off the Cape. If he wasn't going there, he might have made it staying over land and seeing lights below him. But once he headed to Martha's Vineyard, he was in this just black mist and so on. Uh, so that, that was a mistake. Um, I would never fly with passengers uh, in the back. I would have the co-pilot seat. I would have someone next to me. Even if that person knew nothing about flying, they could, I could say to them, watch that gauge. Don't let it go below a three or whatever. If you drop a pencil, right, you drop a pencil and you go to pick it up, now you're disoriented. Yeah. Uh, so many things can happen. I would have had my wife sitting next to me, even if that person knew nothing. And she had flown with him before, so she had some sense. But to have both of them in the back and the co-pilot seat empty was, to me, a, a very, very major mistake. Well, when, when we get a private's license, we have to learn some basic maneuvers. I just want to ask you maybe to speculate. Uh, we're trained, if you're flying to a cloud, to, to, to note what your heading is and turn 180 degrees around so that you're flying back out of it. Um, I wonder if, in this case, once he got into that uh, that dark, uh, difficult to see area, had he just turned it around 180 degrees and gotten back where the lights were, do you think that would have uh, you know saved him? Yeah, I think there were several things he could have done after he took off, uh, and I think I would have done. Okay, the minute he took off from New Jersey, he knew this mist was very heavy because these pilots would come in. That one of them had to do a mist approach and, and come around a second time. He did what we call a scud run. He had to stay below Newark Airport. Newark's a major airport, and control space is like an upside-down wedding cake. So he had to stay low across North Jersey. It's, we call it a scud run, and he stayed at about 1,000 feet so that he didn't have to talk to Newark. He talked to no one on the whole trip, and that, that's, of course, is another mistake. He could ask for flight following, and, and controllers would help him. So he flew at 1,000 feet across North Jersey, turned left to go up the Hudson River until he got out of control space, then he made a right turn to head towards Martha Vineyard, which is proper, but he almost hit a jet going into Westchester County Airport. It triggered the alarm on the jet. It triggered the alarm on LaGuardia. He probably never knew it, uh, but you're absolutely correct. He, and then he had the opportunity to land at several airports along the Connecticut shore. Uh, he flew right over them, and knowing how bad the conditions were, he just did not bother to land. And then, of course, he should have aborted going to Martha's Vineyard, and then he would not have had to fly over the Black Ocean, and he could have gone straight to Hyannis and probably had some lights below him that, that could give him a sense of the horizon. Well, this crash got a lot of publicity, but as you collected data for your research, uh, were there some facts that 
really surprised you about the whole incident? That matter of like the uh, the near uh, the near miss was new. Well, what I did was the year before I wrote the book, uh, I duplicated his flight. So I flew from Albany down to Caldwell, New Jersey. I interviewed the people who had sold him the plane that he crashed in. I interviewed the kids on the ramp who move your plane around and gas it and everything else. And and he was kind of known as a little bit arrogant. He had a dog named Friday. And sometimes you'd bring the dog out to the airport and let the dog run on the runway. Uh, the other pilots didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, then uh, when I, I duplicated his flight, I did the scud run across New Jersey. I went up to Hudson. And it was interesting. When I passed Westchester County Airport, they were using the same runway as the day that he crashed. So I saw a plane coming in I, so I could see how that happened. Uh, I did not duplicate the last part. I landed at Martha's Vineyard. And I interviewed the people there who knew him. And it was interesting to me. They, they loved his mother. Jackie, they just said, was a very gracious woman. They really loved Ted Kennedy, his uncle. They said he just treated the, the staff uh, like equals. And was a, he was a good tipper, too. <laughs> um, but John, John was a little bit arrogant. He kind of bossed people around. And, and they did not think as well of him as they did Teddy and, and his mother, uh, so, and it sometimes happened when you got that, you know, that life of privilege and so on. Well, this crash, without a doubt, scared a lot of people away from flying, but uh, I'm sure that uh, you would agree that it, that it should not. He, JFK was obviously a bright guy, but he made a lot of really dumb decisions that day that stacked up on him. Uh, this accident just should never have happened. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting. I tell people who are coming to fly with me, I say, your most dangerous part is driving to the airport. <laughs> Uh, I have some nice expressions in my book, I think, that, I, that pilots use. I, one of my favorites is it's, it's better to be on the ground wishing you were in the air than be in the air wishing you were on the ground. Um, and, of course, the other one is only owls and fools fly at night. So Now, I only had a Cessna Skyhawk, okay? It's a, a single-engine uh, plane, very safe plane to fly. I mean, if, if something went wrong, I could land on a golf course or, or anywhere and so on. But... But he really just he pushed the envelope continuously, and, and this is a trip he never should have taken. Well, is there a singular couple maybe of lessons, uh, takeaway lessons from this tragedy that uh, the listener could come away with? Sure. I mean, certainly one of the things our instructors teach us and, uh, is you should always have as much information as you can. Okay, don't skip over anything. I, I mean, I, frankly, I have some friends who don't do their pre-flight. They just run out and jump in a plane and go. And, Ouch. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, really, I have an, my instructor, one of these people, is, was one of his former pupils, and he said, he just scares him. He just runs out, jumps in the plane, and takes off. He does, never does a pre-flight. So there were so many things and so many times across this trip that he could have changed the outcome. As I mentioned, he, he could have aborted the flight as soon as, as, soon as he took off. He knew things were bad, okay? You, you can just tell that. He, he could have gone right back to Caldwell. Uh, he could have landed another airport. He could have stayed low across the Connecticut shore at 1,000 feet, and then he would have seen lights clearly below him. Uh, he should have gone straight to Hyannis, and then he would have been over land the entire trip. Uh, should have had his wife sitting next to him. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. Never talked to anybody. He was not in communication with anybody. We have a thing called flight following, uh, which is a step underneath a flight plan. And, and basically, you can call the controller. They don't have to give you the information or the help. But if they're not overly busy, they will. And, and it, you know, controllers could have helped him along the way. At the last minute, even when he was having trouble, he could have called a controller. 
and if he's talking to a controller at that time, he could have gotten some help. Uh, I mean, there are any number of things he could have done to avoid this crash. Well, as we close, I hope you'll join me in pointing out that if someone's dreamed of becoming a pilot, uh, he or she should go for it, especially where we are here with University Airport so close, and in the case of Chica, where we're also heard a wonderful facility up there. Uh, flying's very rewarding and not a particularly dangerous activity if one exercises a reasonable amount of caution. Absolutely. I, I'm not the least bit worried. And there's another uh, kind of saying that pilots have. I mean, we read these, quote, weather-related crashes. Well, there's, there's a, a body out there that says there's no such thing as a weather-related class. It was a crash. It was a mistake by the pilot to get into the bad weather, okay? Yeah. Uh, it, it, the weather didn't cause the crash. It was the pilot caused the crash by flying into weather that they couldn't handle, uh, like thunderstorms. I mean, I mean, we don't go within 20 miles of a thunderstorm. And if there's thunderstorms ahead of you, they've they got to be 40 miles apart if you want to go between them. And, and it's pilots who make the dumb mistakes that, that lead to these problems. But I agree with I mean, flying is, is exhilarating. I, I don't worry about crashing. I, I'm very careful, I, but I've never had a close call. But I, I don't push the envelope. I'm, I mean, Albany has a, if I'm coming in on a, an instrument approach, an ILS, so we, we can go down to 218 feet above the airport. But I would never fly in there with a ceiling that low. I, I set my own personal standards. And I wouldn't fly into that airport with, probably with less than a 2,000-foot ceiling. The book is JFK Jr., 10 Years After the Crash, A Pilot's Perspective. The analysis it, it uh, presents provides many reminders of what should always do uh, to keep flying safely, which makes it a worthwhile read for anyone interested in aviation. I thank author uh, Dr. Douglas Lonstrom for his detailed analysis and for speaking with us today. All right. Thank you for having me. If someone wants uh, it, the book, they can get it on Amazon, but if they want to contact, and you can just Google the Siena College, S-I-E-N-A, uh, bookstore, uh, and contact the bookstore, I'll autograph a copy for anyone and have it sent to them. All right, and I hope many people will take you up on that. Uh, thank you very much. All righty. All right, that about does it for today's program. The show was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. We'll talk about uh, gold falling from the skies and fat monkeys. We know you won't want to miss that. Here we come, walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around But we're too busy singing To put anybody down We go wherever we want to Do what we like to do We don't have time to get restless There's always something new Hey, hey, we're the monkeys And people say we monkey around But we're too busy singing To put anybody down